All right, so we're done with Romans 9, 10, 11. We're on to chapter 12. I'm going to cover two verses today. That's it. Because Paul's literally done the whole going back and explaining the gospel, 1 through 8, and the opportunity that the Israelites have had in 9 through 11. He's talked about the good news of Jesus Christ and talks very broadly about it. How he's reestablishing his reign over this rebellious creation that we live in. And so, uh, in, in particular, he, it's like the next three chapters, 12 through 15, about halfway through 15, he's really talking about Christian ethics. How, how does this play out in our lives? What does this look like? Now, for me, uh, living by the Spirit and trusting the Spirit in me to teach me how to live, we'll get into that a little bit here this morning, uh, but sometimes you just have to say this is what it looks like from the outside, because you may not recognize it, you may have some distortion of what you believe. And so this is literally what Paul's doing in these next three chapters. Specifically, he gets to chapter 14 and he's talking about the strong versus the weak. There's We talk about those that are strong in their faith versus those that are weak in their faith. And we have that. We have that in this room. When we teach up here on Sunday mornings, we try to go somewhat above the the week, honestly, because we want everybody to be able to absorb. And I trust that the Spirit will will do that. Uh, Let's get into it. The very first verse, 12.1, he says, Therefore, (laughs) therefore, everything that we have said from Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11, the last 26 weeks, since January the 24th, he's now saying, therefore, everything that you've listened to over these weeks. And in grace, in grace, as Paul has taught, he's enabled us to become righteous persons, that we can become right before God. It's done. It's a done deal. I am right before God. Right now, you're looking at me I'm holy and righteous before God because of what Christ did in me. Not because of anything that I did, not because of any laws or commandments that I followed, but because Christ died for me. But the question is, is when he says, therefore, what is Paul having to deal with? If he spends the next three and a half chapters on Christian ethics, there's a reason for it. I'm pretty sure it may have looked a little like this. Today's reading comes from the book of Proverbs. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message. I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. 
Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day, and somebody comes in, and they're like, hey, whoops. I'm like, don't! Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it. The word of the Lord. Stop it. <laughs> so I think this is where Paul is when he gets started here. And, uh, you know, here's the funny thing is, is like, this is beautiful. Uh, I was told my Thursday night small group that I was going to show this video that Dan's the worst. And in the mail, like it had already been mailed on the next 36 hours, I got four donations for Levener. And three of the four came from Dan's. (laughs) So uh, that's just the way God works. But uh, gosh, you ever wondered, is that what Paul was thinking is Did he just get frustrated with it all? He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, let me stop right there, the mercies. Paul's literally spent the last three chapters explaining the mercy of God for his chosen people, for Paul's friends, his Jews, his brothers. He's literally shown the mercies. If God has mercy on us, Why can't we have mercy on others? Why do we always have to be right? (laughs) And when we are right, just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. There doesn't have to be a told you so. It's okay. Just give a little room to others to be wrong sometimes because I promise you, you're going to need that room sometime soon to be wrong. And if you don't agree with that, then you're wrong. (laughs) He says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Wait, what? Your bodies as a holy living sacrifice. That's what the animals are for. You see, he's a Jew and they would go to the temple. The temple's still standing at this point when he's written this letter and the Jews would take the animals, perfect animals, and they would sacrifice the animals. But Paul's saying, no, you're the sacrifice. You're the sacrifice. He's saying, he's saying here to this group right here in this room, You're the temple now. The holy of holies, which contained the spirit of God in the temple, is now inside of you. That he has made you holy and he has taken up residence inside of you. There's no more need to do animal sacrifices. If there's going to be a sacrifice 
it's going to be with your life. That you live out this that he has provided for us. So when he's talking about bodies, the word that Paul likes to use to talk about human beings in terms of their concrete interaction with the realities of this life, that's what he's fully encompassing here when he says bodies. He's addressing us as human beings generally but as human beings who are embodied, that is human beings who have this existence core, but you're embodied by this holy living God, and we have the abilities to live a certain way. I didn't say the obligation, the responsibility to live a certain way. You have been given the abilities to live a certain way. If you try to do that in your own strength, if you try to do this on your own, you will not succeed. You may for a little bit. You may for a season. But when he's given us the abilities, there's a spirit that lives inside of us that says, I'll do it. I got it. Let me do it. Surrender. I'm here. I'm living inside of you. Let me do it. And then he says, this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Hmm. That's it. Those are the two verses. The secret to not being conformed is to be transformed. There has to be a transformation that takes place. To be changed within our very basic ways of thinking. That's the transformation. Paul says it's by engaging in this process. You hear me say all the time, process the truth, sit together and talk about the truth. It's offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, not being conformed, but being transformed. It's by doing all those things that we're able to test and to approve and to actually carry out the will of God. In this room, well, even outside of this room, Christians are always wondering, what is the will of God for my life? I've, I've said many times in here that as believers, the will of God for our life is all the same. For you and for me, It's all the same. The will of God is for you to walk by the Spirit. Yes, good news, isn't it? That's it's it's the same for me and Luke. We're to do the same thing. That's the will of God. Just walk by my spirit, not by your flesh. Now there's a calling on my life that's different. We each have a different calling and how that plays out walking by the Spirit. That's different. What's the calling on my life? Well, that's between you and the Spirit. But the will of God for you is no different than it is for me. Just walk by a spirit. The, the odds are, the odds are, you're not going to discover God's will for your life through emotions and feelings. <laughs> I, I'll repeat that. The odds are that you're not going to discover God's will through your emotions and feelings. 
oh, this is God speaking to me. Mm. That'll get you in trouble a lot of times. The most important thing in our lives, the values we live by, have been revealed to us by God. And it's by engaging in this process, not conforming, but being transformed, allowing God's Spirit to pattern the way we think, the way we talk, the way we do things, this whole transformation. It's the practice of our daily walk in what God has laid out for us. And then he says it's worship. You know, uh, Rick does a beautiful job. Ron and all those that come up here, they do a beautiful job in leading us in music. And the church as a whole has pretty much said this is the worship time. That That's not the worship time. We are worshiping during that time, but we're worshiping right now. And when I say amen and walk out this door, guess what we're doing? We're worshiping. As we drive home and you have conversations with your family, you're worshiping. As you breathe in the air that God allows you to breathe in, you're worshiping. We are literally, everything that we do is to worship God, not just sing for 15 minutes on Sunday morning. Worship is our expression. It's the everyday moment and life that we live. And why do we do that? Because it honors God in our conversations, in our actions, everything. But let me get to the the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind. When When Paul talks about us being transformed, he says, It's to take place by the renewing of our mind. A lot of people think that the battle happens right here in our heart. My heart is new. He took the old old heart out and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. That's just, it's an I'm a new creation. It's not my heart. It's up here, the renewing of our mind. It's the same phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 4. And I think it kind of gets to the heart of what we might call Paul's view of Christian ethics. How is it that Christians are to live in a way to please God? All of us struggle with that. We all think about how do we please God? Let me tell you right now, you sitting where you are as a believer in Jesus Christ, God is pleased with you. No matter what you're doing, he's pleased with you. Because he made you holy. He's already dealt with your behavior. He did with that on the cross. So it it doesn't have to do, like, if you think it's because you're not sinning, well, do you think it has to do with what you do for him in the name of Jesus? It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with what he's made you. That's it. This idea of renewing our mind, I I think it should be the central way we think about living as Christians. And Paul's ways of looking at things that we don't make the commandments too centrally important for us. Yeah, 
you hear and hear all the time, we're not under the law of God. We are under the law of Christ. There's a difference there. We're deeply and appropriately concerned that Christians live out their life in a specific way. That's most churches. We're concerned about that. And we're often surprised or even not surprised to find Christians aren't doing that, ourselves included, in this room. Sometimes you just don't live this Christian life. And one, in a sense, easy to answer the problem is to order people to what they are supposed to do. It's easy for a pastor to get up here and say, this is the way that you should live your life as a Christian. These are the things that you should do. You should get up in the morning and have a quiet time. You should get up in the morning and say prayers to Jesus, and you should do that at mealtimes and nighttimes. And then it's easy for us to give commandments or ideas of how to behave or to manage this Christian life. However, I think what Paul has literally said all throughout this letter to the Romans is there's an essence of this new covenant ethic, and it's transformational to the person. Like, you were old, you were born naturally to sin, now you're made new with a new heart, the mind of Christ, and you're able to process and you're able to allow Him to do things through you. First of all, it's a constant process. Paul, Watch this. Paul does not say be transformed by your mind already fully renewed. He says be transformed by a continuing renewing of the mind. In other words, a process that will be engaged in from the moment of conversation to the moment of death. My my personal mind is being renewed as well. I still struggle with fleshly thoughts up here. Oh, I'm having them right now. I still seek wisdom from godly people. I hang out with people this week just to get wisdom from them. But it's this inner transformation that God is working by His Spirit that is key to the leading of this faithful life so that God receives glory. That's it. It's the transformation in us. You see, you can go back to uh, Paul's other letters in Corinthians. It seemed to the people who are so excited about the Spirit working in them, they claim to have special wisdom and insight, and yet Paul again and again had to tell them, no, at this point, if you think you're being guided by the Spirit, you're wrong. You're breaking a commandment of God relevant to your situation. And he was talking about the food process. You're going to practice the Lord's Supper? Yeah, they all got together and practiced the Lord's Supper. And those that uh, contributed the most got there early and ate. And they left all the scraps for the other people. And Paul's like, "You're you're totally messing something up that God gave us. You think you're right. And it seems like you're right. But if you measure it and if you let this transformation that's taking place in the renewing of your mind, you probably ought to let the ones who couldn't provide anything eat first. 
it's not that we don't need law in some form anymore. We do. I know that that's a challenge to what we've taught in here. In my view, God has given us law and specific commandments in the New Testament scriptures to give us an indication whether we're right and wrong. Like I get emotions and feelings and the spirit speaks to me through emotions and feelings, but I have to take it through the word of God and filter it and go, is this really of God or is this me and my selfish desires? What's the real truth here? If my mind has been transformed And he says that I constantly need to renew it. How do I renew it? I renew it by reading the word of God and knowing God more. I renew it by hanging out with brothers and sisters who know the word well, and I trust them with the word, and I hang out with them, and we sharpen one another. I hang out. Let me try to bring this home for you real quick. Uh, In my house, we are watching The Chosen. The Chosen is this series that was uh, done by a group of people, I believe now in Texas, Dallas Jenkins, and some of his friends. And sure enough, as you promote this, you know, something will come up in the Google news feed that it's satanic or something like that and but but for right now i'm watching the chosen i'm watching it with our high school students on wednesday nights i'm watching it with uh my small group on thursday nights and it is one of the the best series that i've seen out of the bible that makes jesus a real man but still of god Uh, it has a lot of liberties that are taken into it, artistic liberties. I get it. It's not word for word the Bible. Argue with me, whatever. Uh, But here's this one scene. It's out of Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. It's just northeast of Galilee. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. People are coming to Jesus because they're hearing about him and they're wanting to be healed. Jesus is dealing with the people in the midst of their crisis. In the show, Mary, Jesus' mother, and other women are hanging out with the disciples as a part of Jesus' disciples that he's collecting, his 12 disciples. The brand new disciples are exhausted. Like this is the first, it's Matthew chapter 4. They're exhausted and they're sitting around the fire. And this is the writer-producer's vision of what it looked like. I've grown to love being Jewish. And I've grown to love following the law, but... It can be exhausting. Following the law or being Jewish? Both. 
It always has been, even before the occupation. Yes, but aren't we used to it by now? Hasn't it made us stronger? I don't get it, if I'm honest. I don't know why God has allowed the occupation. I'd have to ask him more about that. Why this has been allowed for so long. It's hard to feel like the chosen people. I've been there. But it's all worth it now, yes? The wait is over. What about you? What do you mean? Has it been difficult for you all this time? The occupation, following Jewish law. My life has not been easy. Oh, oh it hasn't. What was more painful for you? Escaping Roman persecution by working for them or escaping your guilt with all the money? And now you're catching up on Torah and wanting to follow the law. Why now all of a sudden? Why not all the other times you had the chance? Simon? No, no, John, I want to know. Mary had horrible trauma. She didn't choose all that happened to her. What's your excuse? What do you want me to say? I don't know what you want from me. An apology. What? Simon's not wrong. He could be more delicate about it, but you did choose to work for them. And you made my life even harder than it already was. And you haven't apologized. No, no, don't say it. I don't want you to apologize. It doesn't matter. What would hearing him say sorry do? I won't forgive it anyway. What keeps putting you in authority? Who are you to forgive or not to forgive? What, you're on his side? No, of course not, but you've had your problems too. What about apologizing for what you almost did to us with the Romans? I didn't go through with it. I was trying to save my family's life, and I love you, John, but that's not something you have to worry about when Zeb and Salome are looking out for you. But you put me in a desperate position where I did things I would never have done otherwise. And I've repented for them, and John and James, I am sorry, but I didn't go through with it. What is your excuse? I was a successful businessman, and yet I was always behind. He wasn't your tax collector. You quit defending him. I want an answer. Hey, you're new. Do you even know what it's like to be Jewish? To suffer for centuries and centuries because of it, but to still commit to it? To protect our heritage even though it never stops being painful? Because the one comfort we have is to know that we're doing it together. That we're all suffering together. But if, if we just wait a little longer, if we hold tight, just a little more, we'll have rescue because we're chosen, all of us. And you betrayed that and you spit on it. I can't forgive it. I'll never forgive it. All right. You said what you needed to say. Sit down, Simon. You sit down first.
Good night. Now in the midst of my current week, where our families are dealing directly with COVID, we've had 11 or death. We're walking with people who are losing their jobs because of their addictions. We're dealing with families being broken over divorce. We're consoling a community that has lost three teenage girls to a drunk driver. We're ministering to a family who lost their child 10 months ago. We're consoling parents and students who are going away to college some many hours away. We're trying to figure out how to minister to a lady coming home from rehab and still has a long road ahead of her. We're ministering to a pinhead's employee who's disabled for a season. Just to name a few, in the midst of our own my own personal chaos. We're not looking for sympathy. This, this is our calling. But at the same time, at the same time, these are the conversations that I'm hearing sitting around the campfire. 
We have to wear masks. No, we shouldn't wear a mask. Opinions are good. We need to be taking a stand. Vaccines. Make sure you get, nah, I'm against the vaccine. I'm anti-vaxxer. Were they vaccinated? School curriculum. School boards. Library books. Politics. Prophecy. End times. Afghanistan. Racism. Reverse racism. Gender equality. Gender identity issues. Sexual identity issues. Social network posts where you air out your personal issues and throw the name of Jesus in there to make it look like it's God approved. That's this week. I get it. It's real day topics. Rick was saying before the service, it's like we talk about that stuff because we really don't want to get serious about what's going on in our own lives. This is the world that we're swimming in right now. I care, but I don't care. I have enough chaos in my own life that I don't need to focus on the fallen world. My focus the renewing of my mind is going to be on Jesus. I will hang out with the people who pursue Jesus. I'm not interested in the sideshow. But you need to be a light in the world and take a stand on these issues. Trust me. No, I don't. I am a light in the world. I am a light in the world because the Spirit is living inside of me and directing my paths. The Spirit is constantly renewing my mind to the things that are important to Him, which become important to me. I don't have time for the foolishness of this world. I want to sit around the campfire and talk about the things that Jesus did today. Today. We were meant to have an abundant life in the midst of the chaos. Paul writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Jesus, I trust you today. There's so much going on in this room. And it is not hard to lose focus. It is not hard to become divided over the things of this world. So I pray for the unity of this group, that we are one in Christ. And that is our focus, that we can talk about you, that we can have fun, that we can enjoy life, that we can even suffer together, that we can grieve together, but we do it all through you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.